You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Hello, I'm Tim. If you didn't know, I'm, I'm one of the leaders here. We're going to be carrying on with the, the I Ams of Jesus uh, in the book of John. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of John is in the New Testament. Uh, it starts Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four Gospels, uh, the biographical accounts of Jesus' life. Uh, it's towards the back of your Bible, but don't worry if you haven't got one, it'll be on the, on the screen, which, which parts we're reading from. And uh, we're going through I Ams of Jesus. We've looked at I Am the Bread of Life. We've looked at I Am the Light of the World. And last week we looked at I Am that I Am. And uh, it's worth saying that when Jesus says I Am, it's not like me saying I Am. I Am Tim and I Am wearing a grey shirt. It's not that I am. It is so much more significant. We're going to look a little bit later about the two uh, ancient Greek words, ego, I, me. I am is what Tom spoke about last week, the words that God spoke himself. So it was very significant when, when Jesus would speak them. But what I'm going to start with here is just say that when, is by saying when Jesus uh, spoke I am, he didn't just say it as a I'm describing myself. You know, I am 33 years old, Jesus would say, or, or I, I am uh, a, 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 an Israelite, or, you know, I am a Jew. He wasn't just describing himself. He was speaking into contexts. He was speaking into stories. So we talked about I am the bread of life, but he wasn't just saying, that's an interesting one. That will help them understand me. He was speaking to people who were looking for material satisfaction. He was speaking to people who were looking for bread and saying, oh, Jesus, will you provide this bread for us? And he was saying, no, you have got a confused mindset here. You're looking for satisfaction where only I can give it to you. That's what I'm speaking into. I am the bread of life. He speaks in response to particular confusions, wrong worldviews, wrong thinking. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the great I am. Today he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. And we're going to say, what's he saying that into? What context is he saying that into? It's not just uh, a clever uh, allegory. It's actually a particular allegory. And even in the beginning here, it's helpful for us to see there's actually an application for us here. Because we might be saying, God, what I need is joy in my life. I just don't have enough joy. I'm, I'm down. I need joy. Or, or, or God, what I need is, uh, is peace. I'm an anxious person. Uh, just things are going wrong in my life. I need peace. Or I need adventure and mission. Or, or I need hope. I've got no hope in my life. I need it. These are the contexts where Jesus will say, I am. I am your hope. I am the, the, the way, the truth, the life we're going to look at. We just sang about. I am the resurrection and the life. So he speaks into what we need to hear. I am. And today we're going to see how he actually gets angry. He gets angry in a situation today. And you might think, is it okay for God to get angry, to Jesus to get angry? Isn't that sinful? Well, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. See, Jesus doesn't lose his temper today. He doesn't get to the end of his tether and say, oh, for goodness sake, and then just lose it and his top blow off. No, he, he, he is angry in a righteous way. He's fighting for justice. He hates injustice. Being the judge who knows what is just and what isn't, he defends the weak. So today he gets a bit angry, and we should be so grateful that we have a good shepherd who gets angry on our behalf. One other thing before we start today is that By this point of Jesus' life, the Pharisees already hate him. (laughs) 
So today's story, we go into the context of, of Pharisees who were the Jewish uh, leaders, the, the teachers of the law. Uh, they hate Jesus. They are threatened by him. They think he's a blasphemer, that he contends to be God, something that they don't think he is. He, they worry that he undermines their authority, which he absolutely does do. They get offended by him. He offends their customs. So even some of the things that they call the law aren't actually the law that God set. They have added little things. They are very petty about doing things. And we'll see today, they accuse him of not keeping the Sabbath. But actually, they've added things to the Sabbath which you shouldn't do, which actually God never said. So they have added to things so that they can have control, so that they can say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. And Jesus is not, uh, not okay with that. So today we start from actually, we're going to be in John chapter 10, but I'm going to set the backdrop, the context, for just telling you what happened in chapter 9. One of the most bizarre healings and miracles happened in chapter 9, and even just me saying that, some of you think, I know what he's going to say. The blind man. Jesus comes across a blind man, and uh, blind from birth, and Jesus spits in the mud, and he makes a paste out of his saliva and the, and, and the dirt, and he smears it on the man's eyes. When we have our time afterwards of prayer, I don't think we're going to be doing that, so don't worry. He, he does something bizarre, and he makes this paste, and then he says, go and wash in a particular place, and the man goes and washes, and as he does, his eyes are opened for the first time. And the town gets buzzing about this and is amazed that this man that they recognize as the blind beggar that has always been blind is now seeing for the first time. The Pharisees hear about it. And they say, who did this? And he says, uh, oh, geez, the man Jesus did this. And they are angry. They say, well, he can't be man from God because he's not keeping the Sabbath, as we said he should keep the Sabbath in our particular way. He didn't observe the Sabbath. And the healed man eventually, after toing and froing with them, chatting a bit about it, says, this is amazing. You don't think he's from God. What other person could open somebody's eyes? You don't think he's from God. If he wasn't from God, he could never do this. And he starts to almost help open their eyes. He's trying to help open their eyes to this truth. And they get so offended that this non-Jew, this non-teacher, would try to teach them that they say, get out. Get out of the synagogue. How dare you speak to us like that? Can you imagine? All this guy's done is be healed and then say, Jesus healed it, and he must have God on his side. And they are offended and they chuck him out. That's the backdrop of what we're talking about today. And I'm just going to pick it up in the the message version of the Bible, which is uh, a bit more contemporary language for us to just pick it up as a story. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and went and found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Remember, the guy hadn't seen him before. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Master, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped him. Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen me will see, and that those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. See what he's saying? He's explaining what's just happened. He said, this is why I'm here, so that people like you who were blind, whether physically or just don't know God, could be exposed to God and see him and understand him. And those who, who pretend to know it all, oh, we get it all and we know who God is and we will decide who God is, they get exposed to be liars and blind. And some Pharisees overheard him and said, 
So, does this mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, look, if you were really blind like this man was, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. So that is the story of what's just happened before Jesus goes on to contend that he is the good shepherd. Father God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd to us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to explain things, to open our eyes. Thank you that our eyes have been opened to him. I pray for anyone today whose eyes haven't been opened to who Jesus is, who haven't been able to put their trust fully in him like we sang about, would know today I can put my trust fully in him. I can give myself over to this good, beautiful shepherd. I pray would you shepherd me as I speak today, and I pray that you would help us to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Could I just ask you again to, to just maybe pray a prayer quickly? Say, God, just speak to me today just to help our hearts be in a good place. So we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 10 and see what Jesus is doing. He's angry about what has just happened. He's angry about what he's just seen. And after explaining that these Pharisees are blind and guilty, he doesn't hold back. He goes further. Before he states that he's the good shepherd, he describes what these men are. They've appointed themselves as shepherds, but he says, no, no, these are not shepherds. They are wolves, he says. He also describes some of the characteristics of a good shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. See, even here, he's kind of referring back, isn't he? He's saying, look, if I'm not from God, who opened the door for me to do this miracle? He's saying the, she- the sheep, the, 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 he's saying the, um, the gate's been opened, the gatekeeper opened it. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He doesn't even dignify them as bad shepherds. He doesn't say, look, there are bad shepherds and there are good shepherds. He just says there are thieves and robbers. They might think of themselves as shepherds. He just says, no. You are total imposters, thieves like wolves. I've been reading a little bit of this book called uh, The Shepherd. Well, it's got three books, actually. But it's a shepherd who is also a pastor. And he, can write, he writes on the Psalm 23. He writes on the Good Shepherd. And he looks at uh, the Lamb of God. And one of the stories he tells here, he was a shepherd in Africa. And he says that one of his other friends who was a shepherd, one night they went, uh, they went 
back to bed. And in the morning they came, and a big cat, I can't remember what kind of cat it was, what's in Africa, a, a lion or something, came and had killed 30 sheep in the night and totally destroyed his stock. And, you know, that, that is hectic for a, for a shepherd, uh, totally changing their life, really. But it just goes to show, if you're not going in the gate... You're like a wolf, like a lion going over the side. You're not in it to care for. I mean, none of us would go in our house through the window every day. We go in through the door because we own the house, because we own what's in there. Anyone who doesn't go in that way is not the owner. And he's saying, look, they are thieves, robbers. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. Notice the the extent of the language getting more and more harsh. They come to steal. They come to kill. They come to destroy. So he is not happy. And the Pharisees can't lead people anywhere because they don't know where they're going. But as we see in the verses today, Jesus knows I'm leading people to the Father. I do what the Father tells me to do. I, I look to the Father. The Father knows me. He says the sheep know my voice just like I know my Father's voice. And I follow him. They follow me. And then he goes on. So he said, look, you are not shepherds. He's talked a little bit about what a shepherd is like. The shepherd goes in the right way. The shepherd has ownership. The shepherd loves his sheep, which we'll come on to a little bit more. But then in verse 11, he says what we're looking at today. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see the contrast there, massive contrast. Not someone who comes in to steal and kill and destroy, but someone who lays down his life for the sheep. It's a huge contrast. And and we see... Many things that we'll come on to that are beautiful about this good shepherd. But I want to just look quickly at the significance of this allegory, the, the significance of this phrase. Like I said before, I am. He uses ego I me, I am, which is more than just me saying I am Tim. He is saying ego I me. These are words of God in the Old Testament. God said to Moses, tell them ego I me has sent you. Tell them the great I am, the timeless one, the timeless being, the one who always has been, always will be, has sent you. Jesus uses those words. The Pharisees immediately would have known. Is he saying what we think he is here? He's using words that only God uses. And they obviously would be outraged by that. He says, ego I me, I am that I am. I am. I have always been the good shepherd. And it can be translated, I am the shepherd, the good one. I am the shepherd, the good one. Not like all of these imposters, not like even a normal shepherd. I am the good one. And this is significant. If we look at a few chapters but coming up to this, we see, as Tom said last week, he's already said, before Abraham was, I am. How offensive is that to the Jewish community who, who look at Abraham as the father of their ethnic race, as the father of their faith? Oh, Abraham is who we look to for, uh, for the beginning of how it all started. He is our father. And Jesus says, well, I'm before him. What? How dare you say that? How dare you say that? Well, He's not afraid to say it. I am before him. In chapter 5, he said, the one, they put your, you want, the one you put your hope in, Moses, because they, they were teachers of the law. So in, in the Bible, sometimes Moses is synonymous with the word law. Sometimes they will say, uh, you look to Moses, and they're saying, you look to the law. So he says, the one you put your trust in. And remember a few months ago, I spoke about legalism, how if you're just trying to fulfill the law, and you're going by the law, you don't need God. 
just the law. That is what they are. They're the ultimate legalists. He said, the, ones you, the one you put your hope in, do you know he was talking about me? What? So you're saying you're greater than Abraham, and now you're saying Moses, the one that we put all our hope in, was talking about you. How dare you? And now he says, I am the shepherd, the good one. Who is the good shepherd of, of the, the Jews? David. He's saying, I am the shepherd, the good one. They're saying, what? Now you're saying you're better than our greatest ever king, our greatest ever warrior, the one who, whose descendant is supposed to be the Messiah. Now you're saying you're, you're better than him, are you? Jesus is saying, yeah, that's right. You're getting it. Unfortunately, they weren't getting it. They were just getting irate. How dare he say this? He was saying, I am the good shepherd, and the one that Dan, David was talking about. In Psalm 80, David says, the shepherd of Israel. He talks about the shepherd of Israel. He was talking about Jesus. In Psalm 23, we know David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is saying, hello, that's me. David was talking about me. I am the good shepherd. I am, therefore, the Lord. Everything in history up until now points to me. Everything in Scripture points to me. I wonder if some of you hadn't really contemplated that before. Jesus did claim to be God. People will say, oh, Jesus never said he was God. He clearly did. Do you know that? Jesus was not just a great teacher, people will say. He wasn't just a, some sort of guru or prophet. People now just try to dismiss that it was a myth. It's a very historical fact that Jesus was alive and said these things, and did these things. Was he a lunatic? Was he just a liar? Could a lunatic or a liar do these things and say these things to open people's eyes? He was a man who did things and said things that no one else could do. And he said, I am God. And for some of you today, it might leave you with a decision to make. Because you might have been thinking, well, I kind of was dismissing him as one of these other things. But he claimed to not be one of those other things. So it leaves you with a decision to make. Am I going to dismiss him as God or am I going to accept him as God? We're going to read to the end of the passage and then we're going to look at what the good shepherd does. Okay, so we pick it up in in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is not a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, He sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of of the blind? Interesting that it uh, it did split the Jews. They couldn't decide. We'll come back to that in a minute. 
But three things I want to look at that the good shepherd does and is. First of all, he loves his sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep. We just, just looking through the list here, we'll, we'll see. Verse 3, he leads them out. Verse 4, he goes ahead of them. And verse 4, they know his voice. There's a lovely little paragraph here from the shepherd. His voice is used to announce his presence. He is there. It is to allay their fears and timidity. Or it is to call them to himself so they can be examined and counted carefully. He wants to make sure that they are all well, fit and flourishing. Sometimes the voice is used to announce that fresh feed is being supplied or salt minerals or water. He might call them up to lead them into fresh pastures or into some shelter away from an approaching storm. But always the master's call conveys to the sheep a positive assurance that he cares for them and is acting in their best interests. They know his voice. He gives, verse 10, he gives life in abundance. The quote pretty much said that. The shepherd comes to give life, to come to protect, to come to uh, give healing where needed, to come to defend where needed, to come and feed, to come and see that uh, a sheep are growing healthily and doing well. Life in abundance. Life that we won't find anywhere else. Verse 12, he takes ownership and responsibility, unlike the, the hired hand, he says. If, if a hired hand comes in and is just paid to look after these things that aren't his, then a wolf comes, he will just flee. I'm not going to put myself in the way of that. He says, no, I take ownership. I take responsibility for that which is mine. And uh, verse 14, he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. I love Psalm 139. It's probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Oh, Lord, you've searched me. You know me. He knows when, the, the psalm says, he knows when you stand up, when you sit down. He knows when, he knows the number of hairs on your heads. He knows uh, a, a word that's on your lips before you speak it. He knows you. He says, where can I go from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I descend and go down, you're with me. This Jesus, this good shepherd, he knows us. Do you remember, I don't know if you were here last week, but uh, Wendy shared together. She said she woke up in the night and she was terrified that she was maybe having a heart attack or something. She was scared. She was having heart palpitations. She had pain in her chest. She didn't know what to do. She paced around and she sat on her bed. She said, Jesus, will you come to me? And she suddenly felt a peace. She felt like it was his, he was holding her hand. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just a 2,000-year-old book. It's today. He's our good shepherd. He sits with us. He comforts us. He can heal today. If you want physical healing, we can pray for that today in Jesus' name. And we've seen healings. We know that he is alive today because he rose on the third day. He's still alive. And the most incredible thing he does in verse 11, he lays down his life for his sheep. Later on in John 15, 13, Jesus actually says, Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater that someone could do for something. There's nothing more loving but laying down his life. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's the second thing we're going to look at. He dies. So first thing, he loves his sheep. Second thing, he dies for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. A shepherd has to be tough. Did you know that? 
I was going to say a shepherd has to be a man's man, but we have a female shepherd in our church, so I didn't, didn't think that was very appropriate. But a shepherd has to be tough, has to get up at all hours of the day and night, has to get out there, has to get between the sheep and any threats, puts themselves between danger even to the risk of death. Even to the risk of death. And we know this to be true. Jesus did this for us. And he predicted it here. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Even though we have the shepherd, no, we turn our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, God has laid upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He laid down his life for us, us wandering sheep. He laid down his life. A day is coming when the biggest wolf of all is coming for us. Like a freight train, it's coming. The day of judgment is coming. And I was strapped on that train track. And Jesus came and he undid the ropes to my legs and my hands. And he got me off of the train track. Judgment's coming. And he lay down himself. And he tied himself on there in my place. And he took the brunt, the full weight, the full force of the wrath of God in my place. He laid down his life for us. He died in our place. There's nothing greater that anyone could do. There's no greater love for us than that. A good shepherd stands in the way so that we wouldn't get wouldn't get punished so that we wouldn't receive what was due to us. But we might ask, what if, but if a shepherd dies, doesn't that leave the sheep totally exposed? Doesn't that leave them open to all sorts of danger and attack? Well, not this one. Because look in verse 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to pick it back up again. Jesus rose again on the third day. He took the full brunt of judgment and went through hell so that we don't have to. And then he rose again, victorious, that he had conquered sin, conquered death, conquered shame, conquered the, 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 just, the, the just judgment that was coming our way. And the sheep did scatter for a few days, but he came back to life to gather them again. He came to gather his sheep together. And that's the third thing. He gathers and unites his sheep. The good shepherd gathers and unites his sheep. In Christ, let me just go to verse 16. I have other sheep, he said, that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They too shall listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's beautiful, this. And if if you haven't understood this before, did you know that that the Jews were God's chosen people. It says in the epistles, the letters at the end, that the gospel that was meant for the Jews first, that Jesus came for the Jews first, but then for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews. Hallelujah for us. I'm not a Jewish person by descent. Hallelujah for me. Because God said, not just for these people, but for all my son has come, that we can stand together, united in under the shelter of this one shepherd, this one good shepherd. And he's not finished gathering, has he? He gathers. He's not finished gathering. We hope to see many more gathered into our church, don't we? Into 
into God's kingdom from wherever they are. But we want to see that, that hope. We want to see God adding people to the kingdom of God. I saw someone say this week, in Christ, division becomes diversity. What before could have divided us, now we see is beautiful diversity among the people of this one shepherd, that we enjoy each other's diversity. We have a great diversity among us of culture, of ethnicity, age, gender, backgrounds. We all come together to enjoy each other, giving praise, glory, honor, blessing to the one true good shepherd. Isn't that lovely? Praise God. Lastly, the Jews are still unsure. If we look at verse 19 to 21, the Jews are still unsure. They start to reason. Let me read it again. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So they, they're still not sure. They're, they're may, may be reasoning a little bit more, but you, as reasonable as you can be, unless you humble yourself and say, okay, you are God, you are Lord, you are the good shepherd, and I come under your shepherdhood, shepherdhood? then you're not part of his flock. You can't say, well, he seems like a good guy. You can't be part of his flock unless you admit, Jesus, you are God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that ever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Are you in his flock today? Do you know that you can be? You can be today. Maybe you're still on that train track. Do you know that Jesus can come today and lift that from you? Maybe you will say with the psalmist, David, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you would like to just say for the first time, actually, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus fully. Then I'd love you to pray that prayer with me under your breath or in your head. And and then then please do tell someone if you've done that. We'd love to celebrate with you, help you in any way we can. Before we do that, I'm just going to read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's wonderful to know that we are under the protection and guidance and love of a good shepherd. Not just a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. I'm going to pray that prayer now. If you would like to, for the first time, receive the forgiveness of God, and come to the, the Good Shepherd. Would you just repeat after me in your, in, your, in your mind or just under your breath? That's fine. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. I believe he is your son. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Thank you that Jesus lived a perfect life and died in my place 
so that I can go free from judgment. I believe he laid down his life for me and then took it back up three days later. I want to receive forgiveness and trust my life into your hands going forward. Help me hear your voice in my life. Amen. And just finally, if, if you already are a Christian today, I just want to ask you, do you, are you coming today to the shepherd? Would you come to the teaching, to the friends, to the songs, maybe to the rules even? I just encourage you, come to the shepherd. There is no substitute. There is no substitute to come, but coming to the good shepherd and knowing his hand in your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.